Hello, and thank you for joining us and tuning into this podcast, which is focused on GLP-1, titled Struggling with Weight Loss, Case Conversations in Type 2 Diabetes, and our learning objectives for this podcast are to describe the data from clinical trials showing the benefits of GLP-1 receptor agonists, including those beyond glycemic control, and outline how to use patient-centered care to approach common barriers in developing and adjusting a diabetes care management plan. My name is Lucia Novak. I am a nurse practitioner, and I am the president and owner of Diabetes Consulting Services located in North Bethesda, Maryland. And I am going to be joined by Dr. Tina Tatey, the Associate Investigator and Endocrinologist for Adventist Health Translational Research Institute in Orlando, Florida. Hi, Dr. Tady. Hi, Lucia. How are you? I am doing really well. It's so good to have you on the call um, today and discussing uh, weight management because that's such an important issue in our patients that have type 2 diabetes. I agree with you completely, Lucia. A very important topic indeed to discuss. Absolutely. So why don't we dig right into the case? And um, the the case is going to be centered around a woman by the name of Violetta. She's a 48-year-old woman who has type 2 diabetes and, of course, seems to have that comorbid obesity, and she's struggling to lose weight with lifestyle alone. She has tried many diets over the years, and over the past six months, she's actually been following the Mediterranean diet rather faithfully, walking two to three miles most days a week, and despite this, her weight is not really improving. She does not have any established cardiovascular disease or heart failure, but she does have risk factors in the form of hypertension and dyslipidemia which are additional risk factors uh, for cardiovascular disease beyond just having type 2 diabetes. Again, she does have comorbid obesity with a BMI of 31. And while she does have high blood pressure, it is well controlled with 117 over 70 um, on her current medications. Her A1C is 6.6%, so she's doing really well there. And she's got really good healthy kidneys with an estimated GFR of 93 mLs per minute, and she's not excreting any albuminuria. Her medications include metformin, glimepiride, lisinopril, metoprolol, and atorvastatin. So now that we have gotten to know Violetta a little bit more, what we want to be thinking about as we proceed with her management is what medication adjustments can we make that would help her to lose weight given her BMI of 31? What medications might be able to be discontinued, including others that are not for diabetes that might be causing obesity? How can we possibly decrease her medication burden and can we decrease her hypoglycemia risk while maximizing the extra glycemic results with whatever medication we choose? 
essentially, we're trying to have her medication regimen address the various risk factors and yet not increase the medication burden, reduce her risk for hypoglycemia, and help her to lose weight. Of course, keeping in mind the cost for these medications and so making sure that we know what's available to her on her formulary. So Tina, with all of those rhetorical questions that we need to be keeping in mind while we're figuring out what to do, is there a particular drug or class of medications that you think would best address those questions? Absolutely, uh, Lucia. You know, for a Violetta, yes, she has type 2 diabetes and she has an A1C that is very well controlled at 6.6. However, Violetta is to be credited with the uh, knowledge that she does need to lose weight given that her BMI is 31 and that puts her in the obese category. So that being said, our GLP-1 receptor agonist class of drugs that are approved for management of type 2 diabetes, and we have two agents that are also approved with the indication of obesity management as well. So when we look at what's currently available for the treatment of obesity, we have five different um, medications. Three of them are oral medications. First is bupropion naltrexone, which is marketed as country. The second is Orlistat, which uh, has a strength, a prescription name of Xenical and is also available in a lower dose over the counter without a prescription called Ally. The next one is fenterabine topiramate, which is marketed as Quismia and then two of them are of the GLP-1 receptor agonist class. So when I'm looking at managing obesity, I'm also looking at, well, what else is the patient having to contend with? What are their comorbidities? And then I would want to choose one of the medications in the um, realm of obesity management that will actually not just address the weight, which is tremendously important, but will also have um, metabolic benefits for a patient who also has comorbid type 2 diabetes. So I think, you know, there are other options as well to pick from, but the one that fits Violeta's uh, scenario the best, I think, would be the use of a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And um, as we were talking before, they, of course, are used for uh, management of type 2 diabetes, and two of them in higher doses are approved for weight loss management as well. Loraglutide has uh, the maximum dose of 1.8 milligrams per day under the name of Victoza for management of diabetes, for type 2 diabetes. And the uh, loraglutide with the maximum dose of 3 milligrams subcutaneous daily is approved for management of obesity. And similarly, we have semaglutide subcutaneous weekly, maximum dose of 2.4 milligrams, also approved for obesity management, and nausea and other GI side effects, of course, end up being the most prominent side effects that we see with the use of our GLPs for weight loss as well. As we know from our studies, be it for weight loss or for type 2 diabetes. Thanks, Tina. So we, again, have two GLP-1 receptor agonists that are specifically indicated for the management of obesity in people who don't necessarily have diabetes, which is great news. Um, the two that we have are Saxenda and Wegovy, 
And when it comes to Saxenda, that one's been around longer. Uh, it is the liraglutide formula. And the studies that were done that looked at it were the scale studies. And so basically what these studies wanted to do is to make sure that if patients were taking these medications, that they resulted in a minimum of a 5% weight loss because 5% weight loss has been clinically shown to alter dysmetabolic um, problems that a patient may have with elevated triglycerides and insulin resistance and so on and so forth. So the dose for uh, Saxenda is three milligrams once daily. And when they uh, did those placebo controlled double arm studies, those that were on the, the, um, the Saxenda found that about 50% to just under 80% of those patients who were treated it did indeed achieve that minimum of that 5% weight loss. The Wegovi had their trials and that was the STEP studies. And again, we're looking at semaglutide at the dose of 2.4 milligrams. And again, we're looking for, can we at least achieve that 5% as a minimum of their body weight? And when we looked at the data at the end of the, of the trials that looked at Wegovi, a little bit more, about 67% to 85% of those that were treated with Wegovi were able to lose at least that 5% of their baseline body weight, which is tremendous. Both of them showed the same side effect and adverse event profiles that we all are more familiar with when it comes to the GLP-1 receptor agonists that are used for the management of type 2 diabetes. So the counseling around those and the way we determine if these drugs are appropriate is very similar to what we do in patients with type 2 diabetes, and then making sure that the medications are accessible to them through their insurance and therefore affordable. So Tina, what other benefits can a GLP-1 receptor agonist offer Violetta besides her weight loss? You kind of touched upon this before. So thank you, Lucia. Definitely a very important point of discussion because we've been talking about reduction in the cardiovascular risk factors. So what is the data behind the cardiovascular risk reduction that we have with regards to these medications? So the very common three-point MACE, which is studied, and MACE stands for Major Adverse Cardiovascular Events. And this has three components for a three-point MACE which has cardiovascular death, non-fatal myocardial infarction, and non-fatal stroke. Now, some of the other endpoints that are studied are all-cause mortality and heart failure hospitalizations. These endpoints are studies in very large phase three trials with thousands of patients in these trials. Um, and it's important here to take a moment to draw a distinction between primary and secondary prevention. So what do I mean by that? If someone has already had a clinical event and you're looking to reduce the risk factors further so they don't have another clinical uh, event, a cardiovascular event, that's known as secondary prevention. Whereas in someone who has not yet had a clinical event, 
but they have the risk factors. And when you add on agent or agents to reduce their risk factors, so they do not have any clinical event, that is known as primary prevention. And this is important to look at our medications when we talk about liraglutide and semaglutide. Um, now, liraglutide and subcutaneous semaglutide have FDA indication for reducing the MACE for secondary prevention in adults with type 2 diabetes, that is, individuals who've already had a clinical event, whereas dilaglutide has FDA indication for both primary and secondary prevention. So after that, of course, our very important organ to look after is the kidneys. And though albuminuria was not the primary endpoint, but it second, certainly was looked at in exploratory or secondary endpoints and studies, and a reduction in albuminuria was seen. There was a decrease in patients going from micro to macro albuminuria as well. And that, so definitely you see renal benefits too. Now, it doesn't just stop there. We now have more data emerging on NASH and NAFLD, NAFLD, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And we have seen wonderful data emerge with improvement in NAFLD and NASH as well with the use of tercipitide. Now, tercipitide is a dual GLP-1 GIP agonist. This is not an agent that's approved for obesity management. It has been approved for management of type 2 diabetes, but it's important to discuss the effects that we see, and I must say beneficial effects of user tercipitide in patients with obesity and its comorbidities. And, you know, in addition to um, the metabolic uh, comorbidities that we see, it's also important to keep in mind that with reduction of weight, it helps the mechanical effects of obesity as well, such as osteoarthritis, and of course, self-esteem when you think of the patient as a whole. So definitely, I think uh, we can make a case for using a GOP-1 receptor agonist to address the risk factors for Violetta as well. So with that being said, Lucia, I turn to you. What barriers do you commonly encounter when discussing obesity medication with patients such as Violetta? And what approaches would you use to overcome them? That's a great question. Um, I do see a lot of barriers when it comes to managing both diabetes as well as obesity. And when it comes to the medications, uh, patients prefer medications that don't have a lot of side effects, um, that are safe, and that hopefully there's not too many 1-800 bad drug commercials about. So the good news about the GLP-1 RAs is that just as you mentioned, we have a lot of data from the cardiovascular outcomes trials, which show that they are safe for people who have established disease. They don't increase the risk of an event. And some of them, as you mentioned, actually improve outcomes and reduce events from occurring. Um, we also have the post-marketing data. A lot of these medications have been around for over 10, 15 years at this point, and we really haven't seen any increased um, safety signaling the longer that they've been available on the market, which is great. Um, we have that black box warning for the medullary thyroid cancer, and that tends to make patients and also healthcare providers feel a little uncomfortable on what they need to understand about that. And so 
please know that medullary thyroid carcinoma is a very specific type of cancer that is a genetically linked and it's extremely rare. And the findings were in rats and rodents who have a different um, physiology from human beings. But the drug companies have gone the extra step and they have created a registry and they have voluntarily added their medications as they come to market to keep an eye for any reports of medullary thyroid carcinoma that may evolve over time. And I will tell you that those drugs will stay in the registry for at least 15 years. And some of them have already been in there for at least that long. And we've got new ones that have just been added that will continue. And we have not seen any signaling. So that's good news. We also know that um, your people with type 2 diabetes and or obesity are already at an increased risk for pancreatitis or pancreatic cancer. And so using a GLP-1 receptor agonist has not shown to actually increase the incidence of either one of those. So yes, patients can develop pancreatitis or pancreatic cancer when they're using one of those drugs, but we really haven't seen that the drugs themselves are causing those issues. The other issue, of course, are the side effects and, again, making sure that they understand what is expected of this medication, so how it works with appetite and slowing down transition of food is going to lend itself to GI adverse events, so upset stomach, perhaps some nausea, at times vomiting. Um, 20% of folks may have these symptoms, but 80% won't have any issues whatsoever. So it's really important to let them know what to expect from these medications and probably even more importantly, how to mitigate them. So I tell my patients that they're not gonna be as hungry when they're on these types of medications. So they need to eat when they do feel really hungry and you know help to identify, is it boredom or is it sadness or something else that's causing them to want to eat? And then when they eat, to eat slowly, and to stop eating as soon as they feel full. And those um, coaching mechanisms actually have helped patients to be more successful with staying on a medication like a GLP-1 receptor agonist. They're injectable. And oftentimes, anything that has a needle attached to it causes a little bit of apprehension on the side of the patient. So I like to have the patient, if possible, do that first injection in the office with me. It empowers them. It helps them to realize that the needle is not as big in real life as it is in their mind's eye. And if they're able to do that injection in the office with me, they are more often more likely to be able to do that injection at home as well. So Tina, if you were going to recommend stopping one of her other medications when we do indeed put her on a GLP-1 receptor agonist, which one would you choose and why? Well, um, Lucia, I think with her, most definitely it'll be the glimepiride that I would choose to discontinue because it is the agent that she has on board that can cause hypoglycemia and thus weight gain. Um, so with the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, we can certainly discontinue her glimepiride. So, Tina, would you like to give a summary on what we discussed? Absolutely, yes. So, you know, we have used Violetta 
who is a young patient has well-controlled type 2 diabetes with an A1C of 6.6, um, and she has a BMI of 31. And we have looked at what we can do to help Violetta not just lose weight, but also in the process help give reduction to the other cardiovascular risk factors that she has. And that we've done with the addition of a GLP-1 receptor agonist. We talked about GLP-1 receptor agonist in context of weight loss. We talked about two of the um, agents, which is liraglutide and the dose of three milligrams daily, and subcutaneous amaglutide, 2.4 milligrams weekly, that are also approved for obesity management. Thank you so much, Tina. And I'd like to thank all of you out there for taking the time to join us as we discuss the GLP-1 receptor agonist. This is all that we have time for today. But to obtain your CME credit, please visit theprimed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming your CME credit.